going to begin by just thinking about all the stories that you might tell in a day or in a given week, or that you might ask other people to tell. Maybe if you met uh, a couple for the first time, um, you know, either a married couple or a dating couple or engaged couple, you'd say, okay, well, how did you guys meet? You know, how, and then you know, Katie always gets to, uh, how did you propose? You know, she always wants to hear that story. And so we ask people the questions of how did you meet? Or we might ask someone uh, who's in a certain line of work and we're learning about their job and we might ask, well, what got you into that? Like, what was the path that led you there? And it's like, did you want to do that when you're in high school? Did you kind of have that experience when, you know, early on, you're like, I want to do this? How, what's the story of how you got in that line of work? Then we might ask somebody, well, if they're living in your neighbor or you meet somebody in town or they just maybe just moved to Woodstock or wherever you're living, you might ask, well, what brought you here? Like, how'd you... Why'd you move to Woodstock, or why'd you move to um, Walworth, or John? Why, you know, why are you here? Why is it, What's the story about how you got here? And additionally, perhaps most importantly, we have the story of, uh, well, how did you become a follower of Jesus? Anybody you're talking to, they might share their spiritual background, like practice Buddhism, or maybe they say, well, I'm a Christian, or I'm a Catholic, or something like that. And you can say, well, how did you get into that? What, you know, what, how did that happen? What led you to that? What was the path? What's the story that led you up to that, um, to choosing that? To, and for us, it would be, how did you become a follower of Jesus? How did you become a Christian? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Uh, did you learn about it in college? Did you, you know, how did that happen? Um, what led you to place your trust in Jesus? And the story about how any of us becomes a follower of Jesus or uh, someone who believes in Jesus doesn't start with us. It always starts with Jesus, because before we ever uh, look to Jesus, before we're ever choosing him, he's already choosing us. He's already looking for us. He's already coming to us. And so anybody who comes to Jesus and says, yes, uh, I want to trust in you as my king. You paid for my you know, all the times I've turned my back on God, and I want to follow you. Before we ever do that, he's already been uh, coming to us before we ever come to him. And we're going to be looking at a sequence of events in Luke chapter 5. Uh, I read, um, let's see, I read two of the events, and there's two more we're going to be looking at uh, in Luke chapter 5. And we're going to see Jesus' activities in this one particular city. It doesn't really name it here, but in uh, other, the other gospel accounts, such as Mark's gospel, uh, you see that this city he does all this in is the city of Capernaum. And he goes, and there's these things he's doing. Jesus' mission is, I want to now, proclaim God's kingdom. He says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I've come to seek and save the lost. And so what does that look like for him? What does it look like for Jesus to be living out uh, that mission? And we're going to look at it through these events in, his lot, in this particular city. And as we look at it, I want to use that as a vision for us to picture what should we be doing in this particular city. This is what Jesus does in this city. And what should we be doing in the city of Woodstock, or in whatever city you're coming from, and to give us a vision for what's the picture of what it should look like to be Jesus' disciples and Jesus' church in Woodstock or in any other place. And so if we just back up a little bit, um, Luke chapter 5 is the main part, but if we backed up to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, Jesus uh, comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's chosen to do the scripture reading and to comment on it, and he chooses a reading from Isaiah. And what he says to these people in Luke chapter 4, verse 8, 19, he reads this uh, from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then verse 20, I just love this picture. It says, he rolled up the scroll. So imagine him. He reads that, and then he's just sitting there rolling it up, gives it back to the attendant, and everyone's, you know, why do you read that? What's he going to say about it? And what he says is, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What the prophet Isaiah talked about hundreds of years ago is being fulfilled right now. So this is, you know, this is a big deal of somebody to say this is being fulfilled, not just to be like, here's what this means for when this is someday fulfilled. But Jesus is saying, no, it's fulfilled here in me. I'm doing it. And so his mission, he you know, talks about, uh, he's been anointed by God to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to captives, sight to the blind, liberty for the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you just want to think about a way to sum that up, is really he's bringing good news to a broken world is that our world, people in our world are broken. Um, the whole, our whole society is broken. Our whole world is broken. We're broken people living in a broken world. And Jesus coming and saying, I'm going to be doing something about that brokenness. I'm, going to be, I'm here to heal that. I'm here to take care of that. I'm here to free people from that. And at the root of all our brokenness is a broken relationship with God. We messed it up. Uh, but Jesus has good news. He says, it's the year of the Lord's favor which really favors talking about grace and mercy, God doing for us what we couldn't do ourselves and what we don't deserve and we couldn't earn. In other words, the year of the Lord's favor means God is pouring out his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, and we're broken people living in a broken world because of a broken relationship with God. And Jesus says, I'm coming to do something about that. And only God can provide the healing to his relationship. We can't heal it. You can't earn your way back into a healed relationship. Only God can make the choice uh, to bring healing, and Jesus is the one coming to do it. And so Jesus has come to release us and restore us, uh, release us from what holds us down, our sin. He talks about oppression, being oppressed, having being captive. He comes to liberate us from that and to restore us. And so skipping, or jumping back to Luke 5, Jesus comes to this town, the town of Capernaum, and he sees these guys fishing, washing their nets, and requests, I want to, you know, get, I want to be in your boat so I can get a little better, uh, you can just hear better. He gets a little distance from the crowd that's listening to him, and the water kind of uh, acts as a, a natural amplifier of his voice. So he gets out in their boat, and he's teaching, um, and they're like, yeah, we're fine with that. And then he tells them, go out and try again. Throw your nets over again and try and catch more fish. And they're like, well, it didn't work, but okay, we'll try it. And they take in this huge load of fish, and then one of, their, uh, one of them, Peter, uh, or Simon, uh, says, you know, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He's recognizing you just did something no normal man can do. And then Jesus tells him, uh, don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. He just helped them catch fish. But now he's like, I want you to see your occupation. This is not going after fish, but I want you to apply the same things to you're going to go out and catch people, uh, men, women, and children. And so this is how he wants his disciples to see them, themselves. See yourselves as fishers of people. What would a fisherman be doing? They're going out, they're making preparations, preparing their net. They go out and they, uh, he's trying to, catch, they're trying to catch these fish. And it's what Jesus is going to train his disciples to become, what he's going to train them to do. And so in uh, Luke now, the next three stories of verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 12 through 32, it's like, okay, well, what does this look like? You just told us to go out 
and catch people, go out and fish for people, what does that actually look like? Um, well, we see it in several stories. First, we see in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, um, that he heals a leper. And the leper says, if you want to make me well, you can. And it says, and Jesus did desire to make him well. Jesus is releasing people from what is holding them, and he's restoring them to full humanity. He desires to make them clean. And the report then spreads about him, so these great crowds are coming to do two things, to hear him and to be healed by him. People are seeking those two things. We want to hear what this guy has to say. We want to be healed by him for what is uh, hurting us. And this really, in some ways, uh, lines up with our vision as a church, to show and tell the good news of Jesus to every man, woman, and child. So showing, he's showing what the kingdom is like, what God's love is like by healing, and he's telling them they're coming to hear him and to be healed by him. And then in... uh, Starting in verse uh, 17, a, a new story comes about, and I'm just going to summarize it. As Jesus is teaching in a house, and there's some people that have a paralyzed friend, and they want to get him healed. So they can't get through to, to Jesus. This guy's you know, being carried along on a, a, some sort of cot or a mat. And so it's like, we can't get through the crowd. And so they say, okay, let's get up on the roof. If we can't get through him, let's figure out a different way. Get up on the roof. They dig a hole in the roof, and they lower Jesus down, or not Jesus, they lower the paralyzed man down to Jesus. And then uh, Jesus looks at him and says, When he saw their faith, he said to, them, said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Which may seem a bit odd because they're like, he's paralyzed. <laughs> we want, That was the whole reason we came here, to get a paralyzed guy to be able to walk. And then Jesus you know, doesn't get the point and is like, your sins are forgiven. And uh, then the the people, the Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders are saying, well, who is this that speaks this way? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because the point is that, uh, like I said, we have a broken relationship with God and only God can provide healing because God's the only one who could say, I forgive you. And so Jesus is saying to this guy, I forgive you, as if he's in the place of God to bring healing to this guy's relationship um, with God. You have a broken relationship with God, I forgive you. And your sins are forgiven. It's like, wait a second, only God can heal this relationship. You can't do it. And so they're like, who's this guy I think he is? Telling this guy uh, his sins are forgiven. Then Jesus says, well, why are you questioning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say to this man, take up your mat and walk out of here and go home. And then he says, I want to prove to you that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell this guy to take up his mat and go home. And then he says, you're healed. guy gets up and leaves. And everyone's just amazed that now he's proven, yeah, you know, talk is cheap. I can tell all of you your sins are forgiven. doesn't mean it really is. And he says, but let me prove that when I tell this guy his sins are forgiven, they really are forgiven by also healing his body and telling him to get up and walk. And so that's the second story that's t- showing us what does it look like to be fishers of people, um, Jesus' Jesus's way, Jesus' style. And this paralytic, really, he's experiencing the year of the Lord's favor that Jesus proclaimed was coming. In the year of the Lord's favor, it was uh, kind of an, in the Old Testament, it was a bit of an economic thing where every uh, 49 years, um, there would, all debts would be canceled. All slaves would be released from their slavery. And people would get into slavery in Israel for, they might not have enough money, maybe they had a bad crop year. And so it's like, our family's going to die. And so the welfare system was... We're going to come become slaves of your family, so now you provide for us and we work for you. But it wasn't supposed to just keep going after generation after generation because every 49th year, 
You proclaim that you're in the Lord's favor. All debts are forgiven. You're in debt. Slaves are freed. And Jesus is coming and telling this paralytic, it's the year of the Lord's favor. Your debt that you owe to God because of your sins is forgiven. All your times you betrayed him, rejected him, turned your back on him, it's the year of the Lord's favor. Your debt is canceled. It's forgiven. And this final picture is really the one um, that uh, kind of puts a exclamation point on it all. It says, we'll look in Luke chapter 5. I'll read 27 to 32. It says, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so this final scene, this final story, telling us what it looks like to be fishers of people, Jesus says to this guy sitting at the tax booth, Follow me. And the guy gets up and follows him. And tax collectors in Jesus' day... Uh, maybe even today, you maybe some of the IRS, like, oh, the IRS is coming knocking, they're trying to get money from me. Tax collectors were even worse than that because uh, tax collectors, especially a, a person who's a Jewish tax collector, uh, you are of the people of Israel, and the Roman Empire has come in and they've taken over your land so that they're, you're, you know, military occupation. These, you have soldiers, you have people telling you what to do. You're living under their rules. You no longer are a a sovereign state. You know, don't, you're no longer an independent nation. You have an empire that has conquered you. And part of that empire is what they did is impose taxes on you. You guys are going to pay taxes. You're going to feed, you know, feed the empire. You need to send it in. And so uh, for somebody, a Jewish person, an Israelite to say, okay, I'm going to be a tax collector means they've like sold out to the Romans. You're going to go and work for the Romans and make money collecting taxes from your own people. You're selling out. We're supposed to be resisting this. And so tax collectors were uh, not well thought of in Jesus' day and were despised. And so Jesus, him to call a tax collector to come and follow him is, you know, that's like, that's like the last person that they would think would be part of God's kingdom. Part of, hey, God's kingdom's coming to earth. He's going to liberate us from all foreign powers. Why would you have a tax collector come be part of that group that... He's working for the foreign power. He's on their side. Why would you have him become a follower of the king who's going to liberate us? It doesn't make sense. But he says, follow me. And Levi does it. He makes this great feast. And it says that uh, there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Because who does Levi know? He knows other tax collectors. Probably are these, basically his only friends at this point because all the other people have said, we aren't going to associate with you. And so he calls all the other tax collectors, and it says other people were there too. And Levi, it's like he's throwing a party to introduce people to Jesus. I've started following this guy. I'm leaving my occupation and following this guy, and he throws a party for people to meet them, to, to meet Jesus. But then you have some party poopers on the scene. Uh, it says in verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, they're like, uh, these people are kind of the down and out people. These are the outcasts. These are the outsiders. These are the people that we definitely know are not living righteous lives according to God's law. So why is your teacher, your rabbi, who's supposed to be teaching you God's law, why is he hanging out with all these people 
who are obviously disobeying God's law. All these sinners and tax collectors, all these people who have aligned themselves with the world and not with God. And then Jesus, what he says, is actually to show these people grumbling, actually, you're the ones who are out of alignment with what God wants. And he states, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the picture Jesus gives here is not that, okay, I'm the Messiah, I'm the King God of promise, and I'm going to find all the righteous people, I'm going to gather them up, and then we're going to do our thing. But he says, no, I'm doing the opposite, actually. I'm gathering all the people who need forgiveness, all the broken people, all the people who have a broken relationship with God, everyone who needs grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. I'm gathering up all those people because they're the ones who need healing. And really, the, there's a, other translations that put the word, uh, I have not come to call the righteous quotes, uh, but sinners saying the people who think they're righteous, who think they're better than everyone else. I'm not coming to call them. I'm coming to call the people that know they desperately need grace, that are tired of living broken lives, that are tired of living in a broken world, and tired of a broken relationship with God. I'm calling all those people. And so Jesus sees, that's how he sees his purpose. Everyone is sick with sin. Some are just living in denial of the diagnosis. And so we need to admit that we are sick before we will come to the doctor. And what you see in this story is that grace, God's radical grace, that you can be right with God uh, apart from anything you do, and actually in spite of what you've done, that you can have unearned, undeserved love and favor from God. That kind of grace attracts some, but repels others. And grace attracts people who know they desperately Needed. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, this is how I want you to see yourselves. This is how you are going to be fishers of people. This is what it looks like to be fishers of people. You do this. This is what It's like bringing people to the doctor because they need healing. It's going out to hurting and sick people, people sick with sin and with what this world gives us, and saying, we know where the, the healer is. We know where the doctor is and bringing people in. And repentance, he says he's calling people to repentance. Repentance, you can think of as like a U-turn. It's like, this is how you're living your life. And now you're going to turn away from that and you're going to turn to God instead of trying to fix yourself and trying to be better than other people and trying to, instead of trying to make yourself righteous. You're going to turn from all that um, self-sufficiency and self-righteousness and trusting in yourself and running your own life and you're going to turn to God as the one who's going to make you right with him and fix your relationship. And then Jesus later summarizes his mission in Luke 19.10. I've come to seek and to save the lost. So implications. What is the vision Jesus gives us as his disciples here, as his church here? Well, first he states his mission in Luke 4. He's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, God's gracious love, his healing love, coming into a broken world. And he says his mission is seek and save the lost. And that grace is going to attract some and repel others. That we have a message of good news to proclaim to the world. And how does Jesus want us to see other people, people who have, are still, he says, he calls them, uh, he basically describes them in Luke 4, 28 to 29, uh, sorry, 18 to 19, as very needy people. They're, they're poor, they're captive, they're blind, they're oppressed, they're sick, they're lost. These are people in desperate need. That's how he wants us to see other people, that nobody is well off without Jesus and without God. Everyone is in a terrible situation on a desperate search 
to heal what's broken in their lives. And Jesus says, we're coming to give good news to them. People are needy and broken and poor and captive. And how does he want us to see ourselves? Well, first, we need to see ourselves as people who also need God's gracious healing love. We're broken people in a broken world. And without Jesus, we would continue to have a broken relationship with God if it weren't for him. And we need Jesus to heal all of us. And really, if you want to sum up uh, really the gospel um, as a, in a really personal way, is that we are worse off than we know and more loved than we can imagine. And uh, there's a pastor and author named Tim Keller. Um, that had, he says something very similar. I think I changed a couple words, but it's basically you know, from him. It, we're worse off than we know and more loved than we can imagine. And when you wake up every day uh, to go to work, to watch kids, to go to school, whatever it is, do you feel that, that today I am worse off than I know? I'm more loved than I can imagine. That We don't even know the full extent of how bad we are, how much we have sinned. We just don't even see it. And yet God has said, I'm forgiving it. And you're more loved than you can imagine, uh, even despite. Uh, in spite of that. And so he wants them to first see themselves as people who need God's gracious healing love, but then also he wants to, them to see themselves and us as his disciples and his church, that we are fishers of people, that we're trying to bring people to the doctor because they're sick with sin, that we are people seeking the lost. And there's an image I think can help us that when we capture that, Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And so I began getting interested in this image of us being a, a search party. And a search and rescue, an S-A-R, is, here's the definition, is an operation mounted by emergency services, often well-trained volunteers, to find someone believed to be in distress, lost, sick, or injured, either in a remote or difficult-to-access area, such as mountains, desert, or forest, or at sea. Well-trained volunteers to find someone believed to be a distressed, lost, sick, or injured in a remote or difficult-to-reach area. And so Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Meaning, we've got to go through the gates of hell, that there is darkness there. People are in a difficult area to get to. And then Jesus says, you're going to do what I do. I've come to seek and save. And so you're going to be a, tra- a well-equipped group of volunteers to find someone believed to be in distress, lost, sick, or injured. And Jesus describes all those things here, that people are lost, they're sick with sin, they've been held captive and oppressed, and they've been injured by sin, Satan, and the world. And so someone, imagine someone lost, uh, that just imagine someone that you care about lost. You don't know where they are. Maybe they're lost in town, lost in a forest. And what you would feel, you would be like, they must be so scared. They must be uh, so frightened. And they're just might be just crying. I've, you know, there's been times when Hudson, um, just last week, um, I forgot to tell him I was bringing Ezra inside, and so he all of a sudden realized I wasn't outside with him, and he just freaked out. He was at the door, banging, crying because he didn't know where I was. And that is such a small situation compared to well, what if he was lost? Uh, I'll throw out a sweet word for you because this is an actual place by my hometown, the Schwamigan National Forest. Yeah, I know. I have a degree. That's why I can say that word. Schwamigan. But it's a huge forest. So if Hudson was like lost out there, it would be, I would just be 
desperate to go and find him. I would do everything I can. I'd feel this compassion like to go find my little boy that I know is afraid and who's possibly in danger, doesn't know what's going on, and he's just out there crying. And so search parties are sent out to bring someone home. And the church is a group of people organized and trained to look for and help those who are lost. We are a search and rescue team. And so we want to go to people who would never come to us. We want to go to people who would never come to us because that's what God does. We want to do it because that's what God has done for us. He came to us. Our relationship with God always starts with him, not with us. God came to us even though we would never come to him. And then he brought us home. Jesus came on a search and rescue mission for us. And fishers of people, it's important to note, and actually the person that pointed this out to me is Brett, uh, sitting right here, that when we often think of fishing as with poles, one person casting a pole. But what these guys are doing, and you saw it in the story, they have nets and they have partners. There's a group of people that are doing it uh, as a group, as a team. And so when he tells us, I want you to be fishers of people, we shouldn't imagine ourselves going out with a pole because the, with by ourselves because the image that he's using here is a team using nets together bringing people in. And we're the body of Christ. Each of us with a purpose and a place in God's kingdom and God's search and rescue, rescue team doing it together. And it's also important to notice that they only bring in the large catch of fish after they listen to Jesus. They worked all night and then Jesus tells them, try this, do, try it here. And then they bring in the catch of the fish. So we get this image of we're a team of people doing it together and we need to listen to Jesus for what he wants if we're going to be successful. So this last image in verses 27 through 32 at Levi's party, that's the one that's just captivated me and for the last couple months of thinking, what should we look like as a church? And it's this community of people all gathered around Jesus, him at the center, and who knows where these people are at in their beliefs. I doubt hardly any of them would say, Yes, Jesus, you are the Son of God, come from heaven, the Messiah is going to die for our sins. I, that is very unlikely that any of them have that at this point. But, and they're probably all at different places. Levi said, okay, I'll follow you, but then what about his other friends? It's like they're Maybe all the tax collectors, they're probably not uh, considering an occupation change. And it's just all these people with Jesus at the center gathered around them. All these people exploring who he is, trying to discover what's this guy about? We've heard about his healings. We've maybe heard about his teaching. Maybe we even listened to some. Now they're trying to figure out, what is this guy about? Like, who is this guy? And really, that's captured in our logo. I don't know. There's not one back here. But that crown at the center and then those dots. <laughs> that was a test. You all know the logo. There we go. So there we go, our logo. I should wear this every week and I can do this. So look, Jesus at the center, all these dots, people in lots of different places. We're exploring him, discovering who he is. That was, that, that was good, guys. Thank you. <laughs> so people need an opportunity to explore and discover who Jesus is so that they can surrender to him. And that means we need to be okay with people belonging in this church before they believe in Christ or behave like Christians. That this, what I see in this picture here is that these people are at this party. They're belonging at it. They might even follow Jesus around for a while. There's tons of people who follow Jesus around for extended periods of time and probably never put their trust in him. But as a community, can we allow people to belong um, before they believe or behave like Christians? 
And so how does Jesus, lastly, how does he want us to see God? And this is the foundation of it all, because our view of God is going to grow the fruit in our lives. It's the foundation. And what Jesus is talking about here is this is a broken world. It's a broken broken people living in a broken world because of a broken relationship with God. And what he wants us to see uh, is that God isn't letting it stay like that. That we're these broken people, and if you want to think about where people are at and want to just a description to pray over, that it's that everyone is on a desperate search to relieve the empty ache they feel inside. And do you believe that? I mean, if you start thinking about yourself, why are you doing what you do? What do you spend your time doing? And what, what are people looking for? Everyone is on a desperate search to relieve the empty ache they feel inside. And this is inspired a bit by a quote by St. Augustine who said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Meaning, we never find rest. We're all looking for rest. We have these restless hearts looking for the thing that will make us feel comforted, whole, secure. I'm like we have a purpose, like we matter. We're all looking for that. We have this desperate search to relieve that empty ache inside uh, that was supposed to be filled by God, but since we left him, now it's just a hole. And deep down, people are asking, we're broken people, and so people are asking, can anyone love someone as messed up and broken as I am? We do lots of ways to convince people we're lovable, or we go to ways to numb our feeling of not being lovable. Um, but we're all wondering, can anyone love someone as messed up and as broken as I am? And the Bible is the story about a God who refuses to stop pe- loving people who stopped loving him. That the whole book of the the whole story from Genesis three, where it gets messed up, the third chapter. All the way on is a story about how God refuses to stop loving people who've stopped loving him. The Bible is a story about a God who is waiting with wide open arms for anyone who wants to come home to him. We need to have that, that vision of God for ourselves. That God is just there, wide open arms, just come home and he's ready to run out and embrace anyone. Because if we don't have that view of God, we won't be that very excited to tell people about him because we're like, well, you know, you've got to kind of clean yourself up. I don't know if he'll accept you. But if we think this is what God's done to us, that God is waiting with wide open arms for any rebel who wants to return home, for any runaway who's tired of running, for anyone who's done living life on their terms and in their way, for anyone who's tired of looking for and working for love, for anyone who's tired of trying to be lovable, for anyone who's ready to get off the throne of their life and hand the keys over to him. God is just waiting with wide open arms and God will run out to them. He's run out to us and embraced us and poured affection and love on us, unearned, undeserved love. And God is, do you believe this, that God is willing, ready, and eager to embrace anyone who wants to be loved by him? It doesn't matter. And you can really test this to be like, if Adolf Hitler said, I'm done, I'm done doing it my way, and I'm turning to you, God, that God will be ready and eager and willing to embrace him, anyone who wants to be loved by him. And why can God do that? It's because God himself has paid the price to heal our relationship with him. God himself has paid the price to heal our relationship with him, and only he could. That's how relationships get healed, is that the one who is wrong pays for the wrong of the wrongdoer. That's, how, that's what forgiveness is, is if you did something to me, um, I'm upset with you about it, and then you say, will you forgive me? That's me saying, I'm not going to make you pay me back. I'm just going to pay for it myself. I'm going to pay for your wrong against me. That's what Jesus' death was. It was God himself paying the price of our rejection 
and betrayal of God. God himself paying for it. And so God is winning the world back to himself by refusing to stop loving people who stopped loving him. And the bad news is that everyone is worse off than they know. But the good news is that God loves us more than we can imagine. That's everyone, not just people who trusted in Jesus. Um, the whole world, God so loved the world, the sinful world that rejected him, that he gave his only son. And so God has this general love for everyone, but then he also has a special love for those that trust in him and become his children. And so if you are a child of God, the good news is that God loves you and even likes you beyond your wildest imagination or expectations. So as a church, I mean, if you just look around, I mean, it's like, in, in one sense, we don't have much to offer anyone. We're small, using this, this building, uh, set up our own chairs, we've got, you know, we're sharing space with another place, we don't have all these, you know, pr- programs going on to help people. So in one sense, from a worldly perspective, we can't really offer much. But then from another perspective, we have everything to offer. We have everything to offer because we have Jesus. And the church is the place where Jesus' presence is found and encountered and experienced. And Jesus is what everyone needs. People don't need programs or a rocking youth group or a great building, you know, fancy building. They don't need our worship was great this morning. For a long time, we would only have like one person. I remember this song. You remember it too, being sung, and it would sound a lot different. And it was like, wow, that sounds way better now that we have three people singing. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking about Boldly I Approach. That song is like, it just had so much more power. It's like, look, this isn't what people need to save them. People need Jesus. And everyone needs Jesus. It's not about what we can do to make ourselves look good or impress people. Is that uh, That's not going to offer anybody anything. Our impressiveness can't save anyone. Only Jesus can. He can fill the emptiness they feel inside He can heal the brokenness in their life. He's the best. We don't need to have a bunch of programs because Jesus is the best spiritual program we can offer. And many churches around the world today and throughout history and in the New Testament really had not much to offer people besides Jesus, Jesus himself. And we're a good news church. And we believe we have a message of good news worth Sharing. We believe that we have good news for people suffering in this, this sin-sick world. We have news that everyone is desperately longing to hear. And our most important purpose that we could ever live for as individuals and as a church is to be introducing people to Jesus. Their eternities are on the line. Telling someone about Jesus could change their life forever. And there's no better act of love than to give someone an opportunity to discover who Jesus is. There's nothing, nothing is more important than that. And Jesus is not an optional add-on to people living pretty good lives. It's all about Jesus. And if we have our relationship with God healed by him, then it's all up to him as well. And so I just want to conclude with four statements and then return to that picture. These are truths that you can just hold on to. We all really need Jesus. When we're talking to someone about Jesus... We are no better than them. We're just telling them. I've heard one person describe evangelism as it's just one beggar telling another beggar where you can go find some free bread. We all really need Jesus. Jesus can make a difference in anyone's life, no matter how broken, how hurt, how deep the darkness is. 
And so Jesus is good news worth sharing. We all really need Jesus. Jesus can make a difference in anyone's life. And so Jesus is good news worth sharing. And lastly, telling someone about Jesus could change their life forever. Not just their life on this earth, but their life into eternity. So we want to be a community with Jesus at the center. A community in which we all really live the reality that we need Jesus. A community in which Jesus is really present. A community in which Jesus is making a difference. And a community where people can meet the real Jesus because they're welcomed in, given the opportunity to explore and discover who Jesus is for themselves. Let's pray. Father, we go out into our lives and we go out today to have our booth and our kids game at Summer in the Park and we just know that our little booth and our little postcards and our survey we're doing it can't save anyone that it's all really powerless without you we know that you can take our humble our simple our imperfect efforts and you can do something amazing with them And so, Lord, we ask that as we uh, serve at Summer in the Park today, would you bring people to know you, to know your son, to trust in him because of what we do? Lord, would you help us to represent this vision of a community with Jesus at the center where people can belong before they believe or behave like Christians? Would you help us represent that today, uh, your son's heart for people seeking and saving the lost as we're at Summer in the Park. Would you let each of us do it in our individual lives? Would you let us do it at our cookouts that we're hosting? Would you let us do it as a church every Sunday? God, we just want people to know you. We want people to be saved. And so would you use our humble church to do that? In your son's name we pray. Amen.